Hi everyone, welcome to Aberrant Behavior. I'm your host, Christabel. In this episode, we're going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to do our first question and answer episode, uh, or questions and answers episode, uh, because I got more than one question and yeah, okay. So I asked uh, people on my Instagram to ask me questions and I will attempt to answer them. I don't have answers to things I don't know and haven't had a lived experience with. So this is going to come from that perspective. Um, Always anything I ever say is going to come from the perspective of knowledge gained over my years of life and my lived experiences. So let's go. The first question is, have you experienced racism in an interview hiring process in healthcare? Uh, I can't say that I have, or at least I wasn't aware of it. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm a travel nurse. So a lot of my interviews are virtual um, and usually it's phone interviews. And oftentimes I don't even get uh, a traditional interview. I have a profile put together by the agency that represents me and that profile is submitted to um, a potential employer And based on that profile, I get offered a job or not. So that's how it works um, as a travel nurse. Of course, now when I start the job, there is always scrutiny as there should be. And um, I've always gotten a job. I've never been fired. So I don't know um, how race people's racist attitudes or thoughts have impacted the opportunities I may have not gotten. Um, But I can't say that I have experienced it overtly. Now, if we were talking about racist attitudes and systemic racism in healthcare, I have a whole lot to talk about when it comes to that. But that's that wasn't the question. Okay, second question is, what do you think how do you feel about aging? I love this question because, frankly, I don't think about aging much. Um, I mean, I'm turning 35 this October, so I think of it in the from the perspective of, oh my gosh, I'm turning 35. I don't even know how that happened because I feel like just yesterday I was in my 20s. I was 24 and I still, I'm very, very um, childlike in my approach approach towards life. And I love that about me. I I don't take myself too seriously. I wear what I like. I dress how I like. I wear mostly pink. <laughs> and someone may say, oh my gosh, that is not a 35-year-old thing to do. Oh, well, sue me. So yeah, no, I don't really think of aging. Um, I think a lot of the re- one of the biggest reasons why is I grew up in a country where we just weren't focused on things like that. Um, survival is the... Is the main focus of many people from African countries or who live in Africa. Uh, so certainly that's how I grew up. So like the preoccupation 
um, more developed nations have with aging and um, weight and all of that. I just don't have that embedded in my psyche as um, someone who grew up here. So uh, the way I think of aging, every so often I'll think about like, do I want kids? If I want kids, maybe I should think about having kids sooner than later because, you know, I'm about to turn 35. Um, I think of aging that way. Um, When it comes to like physical appearance, I don't look, well, obviously I look different than I did 10 years ago, but I, I don't see it. I don't, my face is, (laughs) my face is still my face and I don't, you know, struggle with like wrinkles or I don't even know even if you, I don't know if you, if I should even call that a struggle, but, um, things that would traditionally, I guess, bother people about aging, I just don't experience. Like they say, black don't crack and, and that's how I feel about that. Um, so I don't have any particular feelings about aging. It just is what it is. If I'm aging, I'm alive. And that's how I feel about it. The next question is, how should a white person, how should a white ally respond to black people that are denying Black Lives Matter and systemic oppression exists for black people. So far, I have stayed back because I am uncertain. This is a good question. I do think that the most obvious answer to me is um, there are more people to criticize than black people. So I would, if I were you, I would focus on other people who are not black to... um, you know, criticize most, most foremost amongst those would be yourself, uh, you know, potentially if examining your own racial biases, your own, um, ways, um, assuming that you're white ways you benefit from white supremacy or, you know, and I, think I'll just leave black people alone. <laughs> um, black Blackness is not a monolith and it's a vast array of people that make up black people. Um, but I don't think that a white person should be focusing their energy on criticizing black people at all. So that's how I feel about that. Uh, ooh, why are you so awesome? Honestly, um, this question like made me smile so hard because I do now think that I am awesome. I haven't always thought that. It has been a really, really long process of getting to a place where I can, you know, confidently and without shame say, I do think I'm awesome. I am flawed. We all are, but I have a good heart. I love, love, love deeply. I love expansively. I have a very, I have um, a code of ethics that guides the way I move through life, a personal code of ethics that guides the way I move through life. And, you know, chief amongst those is do no harm. And I work really, really hard to um, ensure that I am not intentionally or unintentionally harming people. 
And and I'm really proud of myself for the work that I have done to get to this place. So thank you so much. Why am I awesome? A lot of therapy, um, a lot of, uh, you know, just realization that life is meant to be lived and I want to do my very best at living it. Um, next question. Uh, let's see. It's a few questions from the same person. The first one is how to overcome religious guilt after coming out of a religion and realizing you're a lesbian. Ooh, this is, this is a rough one. This is a tough one because it has been a journey for me. I was raised by a mother who is a strict Jehovah's Witness. I was raised um, in a very strict Jehovah's Witness household. I was baptized at 13 and I remained a Jehovah's Witness for uh, till I was 28. So that was 15 years of um, what would be considered voluntarily um, being a part of the organization. And when I left, it was a gradual process. I, I left initially um, from a mental perspective. I was beginning to explore my queerness. I, I, so a lot of the teachings were no longer resonating as far as, um, you know, homosexuality being an abominable uh, cancer that I had to uproot in myself. So I began to explore my queerness uh, about around, well, before 28, I would say maybe a, mm, 26, 25, 26. So that's how it started. And I was very fortunate to realize early on the need for therapy. Um, I started therapy before I came out. So, and I didn't come out for probably a year after I had started therapy. Uh, it was a lot of, it was a lot of uh, leaning on my therapist. It was a lot of just anytime I would feel anxiety about what I was doing, I could always hold off because I knew I had a therapy session in a few days that next week, whatever. So in those first few months of therapy, I didn't miss a session. I'm a really good student. So I took to therapy very well. I I applied myself, if you will. And so that was the biggest reason why I could, um, you know, work my way towards coming out eventually. The guilt, on the other hand, stuck around. So I came out maybe a year after I had started therapy. Um, so not only did I have this religious background, I, I'm also African and Africans are stereotypically uh, incredibly homophobic. And so my family was not exempt, but I, 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 
the thing about me is even when I'm crying in my therapist's office, you know, about my family not accepting me, I have this survival mechanism where I would never show that weakness to my family. So I'll go to therapy and I'll cry about it. And then to my mom, I'll be like, what you going to do? Like I was very in her face about it. And I realized now that it's just a defense mechanism. I came out with a bang like to her. Um, and when she tried to like mock me about, oh, how do you have sex with girls? Why are you choosing this abominable thing? I would, I would, you know, react back with, well, since you asked, this is how sex goes. This is exactly what I do. Do you want pictures? Do you want videos? So that was, I was very reactionary, but it was, it was definitely a protective mechanism that I had developed over the years of like just showing a really tough exterior. And so basically I said to her, you don't have to disown me. I will disown you <laughs> if you don't um, if you don't accept me. But um, so I did that. I you know I, that's how I kind of came out to her. But the guilt did not leave me for a really really long time. I I went from okay okay maybe this is not God this is not what God wanted of me, but. This is what what I am. I am a sinner. And if that means not inheriting everlasting life, then so be it. We all have our sins. So for a little bit after I came out, that would be the discussion I would have with other Christians. I would say, yeah, this is just this just happens to be my sin. You have your sin and I have my sin. Don't judge my sin. So obviously in that language, I was still very much uh, feeling a lot of guilt about being a lesbian. Um, And over time with therapy and consistency and just like, you know, time really, really is remarkable. Time and effort yields results. It's increment, it's gradual it's um in it's in gradual increments but it happens and that at least that's how it happened for me it just took time and consistency at and also being really fortunate and privileged enough to be able to afford my therapist and you know and have from he was the first therapist I ever went to, and he remains the only therapist I've ever seen outside of like say couples therapy, you know, couples counseling. So I was very fortunate to have someone who had a lot of empathy, a lot of uh, a lot of grace to give to me when I didn't have any to give to myself. He wasn't pushy. Um, so I early on he would use, um, he would use language like uh he would begin to use language like you were brainwashed when he saw that that was not a that was not the way to go with me because therapy sessions ended up being me defending Jehovah's Witnesses because I think there's a lot of good in them and they you know and my mom is a Jehovah's Witness and she's one of my favorite people 
Um, so I ended up, I would, we would end up in sessions with me just basically defending witnesses to him. And so he realized that that wasn't the right approach for me. And so it wasn't until like, like recently and literally five years later, can I say that there was a level, there was a big, <laughs> a high level of brainwashing in the way, um, I was raised uh, to basically uh, deny who I was, and so yeah, that's that's how it that's that's what helped me. Time, a phenomenal therapist, and consistency at doing the work. Um, and so uh, the second part of the question is: How can I we support the Black Lives Movement matter? as teens in racist households. Are there any links to learn more about black history that isn't whitewashed? I um, I will preface this answer by saying that I am not an activist. I'm not an anti-racist educator. So to, for me to provide you links, I literally would have to do what I'm suggesting that you do, which is Google, um, find in my education, right? Because again, I didn't grow up here. So I've had to, I'm having to educate myself. And in that education, I'm realizing that a lot of this stuff has been said ad nauseum. Uh, So looking back at people who have, um, who have been having these, these conversations, Forever, you know, the Angela Davis and the works of MLK and the works of uh, Malcolm X and all of that, that's, they laid the foundation and a lot of their teach or their, yeah, their teachings are still applicable. So, you know, looking at things, going back and looking at people who have devoted their whole lives to activism and anti-racism work is a great place to start at at the very least. And also on Instagram, you have accounts that are dedicated to presenting a historically factual um, perspective of racism in America throughout the years. Those are, those are great accounts to, to look at and, and follow and learn from. I know, um, Erica Hart, I think her, I'm going to include her, her, uh, what's it? Her handle in the description. I know she is an educator and she teaches, um, anti-racist, stuff uh to teens and young adults so you may find um their work beneficial um just know that it's they're very um forthright in their approach and so bear that in mind Uh, but if you're willing to endure a little discomfort i think you could learn a lot uh, from them uh, another question I have is, how do you feel about birth control? I can't imagine my body with those hormones. I wonder how many health problems, mental problems it causes. Where is uh, male birth control? 
Um, to that, I say I don't have any comment on anything anyone does with their body ever. <laughs> that is literally like the bottom line for me. I personally, I'm not on birth control because I don't, I, I have no need for it. Uh, but I, if whoever is on birth control and it's, that's their body, it's their choice, potential side effects and all. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I just mind my own body pretty much. Uh, what things taught in childhood did you have to unlearn in adulthood? Um, do you have another like 10 hours? Because I don't even think that would be enough time to cover all the things I'm having to unlearn. And that is why I started my podcast and named it what I did. Because a lot of the things that I'm unlearning and this journey towards getting back to myself may be considered aberrant. Um, you know, at one point in time, queerness was considered aberrant and, uh, and I welcome that. I welcome getting to know my, myself as I, as I, as I am without conditioning, regardless of what I may find. Cause you know, the shadow self, uh, is not always a pleasant discovery, but it is, it is one that I am I am committed to uh, returning to. I'm committed to returning to myself. So in in that journey, there's a lot of uh, unlearning of <laughs> a lot of things. For instance, you know, I I talked, I touched on it some. I'm learning that I am inherently flawed. I do not believe that anymore. I think that is a teaching of many religions and. Um, It leads to a lot of self-loathing and a lot of belief that other people's ideologies are what's best for us. And that certainly happened to me. I believe that my culture, my family, my church, they knew better for me than I did for myself. So I'm learning that no one knows more about about me than I do. It has been a great great thing for me to do as I grow and um, return to myself. So that's a big one I've had to unlearn. One thing that I was taught in childhood is that children are don't have thoughts of their own and they're meant to be seen and not heard. I, oof, that stole my voice. That has, that, just that simple concept has been one of the most harmful things in my life. So having to unlearn that I don't have a voice or that my voice is not as important as the voice of elders has of my elders has been a big, big one for me. Yeah, you may have had so you know this it happens in African cultures where there is a big reverence for the elderly and it is it is appropriate but I think it's appropriateness it's only to an extent that it doesn't squelch your own voice so I can respect my elders and their lived experiences without having to defer to them on things that I know to be true for myself. 
Um, so that has big been been a big unlearning for me. And the fact that I speak up or have a voice does not mean I'm disrespectful. I mean, someone can construe it as that, but that's certainly not my intention. And if me speaking my mind disrespects you, I think, you know, that's something you, anyone has to personally, um, it's, 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 it's a personal thing they have to contend with. And it's not on me. The solution is not then for me to not speak up anymore. Um, so that's another one. Maybe I'll do a full episode on, you know, all the other things that I've had to unlearn over the years. Uh, another question I got is, I would, I would love to know about your coming out story if you'll be happy to share. Ooh, my, coming up, my coming out story. It really happened in phases. Um, I started therapy. Before I started therapy, only my girlfriend at the time knew that I was um, gay. So... After therapy, after after a year into therapy, uh, or during that year, I would still, you know, like Facebook, I don't know if they do that anymore, but Facebook, you could group your friends list by, by acquaintances or close friends and this and that and the other. So I did, I did a lot of managing, um, managing appearances. So I would post certain things only to close friends and I'll post certain things only to acquaintances and I'll post certain things only to family. So I came out in little chunks to different people and it wasn't until, I don't know what happened where I was just like, I can't keep doing this anymore. Well, I, I know what happened. I fell in love with I had been in love and in a relationship with my girlfriend turned wife, turned ex-wife at the time for a year. And I was still referring to her as my best friend. In fact, we were we had just started living together and traveling together as uh, travel nurses. And I was still referring to her as my best friend. Oh, I'm going on a trip with my bestie. And that began to feel old really quickly. So one day I posted a thing and said, um, this is my girlfriend. And I posted it to everyone. It wasn't just to close friends. It was close friends, acquaintances, and family. And that was that. And the, the thing about... The community that I had at that time, a lot of them are African, were African. A lot are, mm, a lot of my previous friends are African. Um, and a lot of them are Jehovah's Witnesses. So, and there is this culture of non confrontation. So, what people did was just unfollowed me. I think only maybe a couple of people came into my DMs or called me or texted me to say how abhorrent what I was doing was. But for the most part, they all left me alone. All I, the, the, you know, the fallout from coming out was I lost every single friend I had who was a Jehovah's Witness or was African. And those friends were 
my longest friend. Um, I, I only my friend Nina. We've been friends since we were ten. Since I was ten and she was twelve, we had been friends for. We've been friends for a really long time. She's really the only one who remained in my life, and of course, my family. Because you know, <laughs> yeah, my family. Um, but otherwise, I lost everybody who I was um, friends with, and I basically had to start over. And if you know anything about making friends in adulthood, it's it's for the birds. Ugh. So yeah, that was a really hard time as far as that goes. Um, because it was very obvious in that moment that my friendships were conditional friendships and, um, and already I had a, a complex about not being able to make friends or not feeling likable. So, um, yeah, that didn't help. And I kind of retreated into myself a little bit. And could, even when people were trying to be friends to me or proving that they were my friends, I couldn't see it because I was just so caught up in no one likes me. And um, it took a while for me to to begin to come out of that. And it's just now happening where... I feel confident that the small group of people I call friends are solidly um, in my corner as I am in theirs. So, yeah, that was a that was a rough a rough um, time for me. Uh, favorite skincare product? Your skin is always glowing. Um, number one, oily skin. I have the oiliest skin known to man. So that's the glow. But beyond that, I love ingredients more than I love product. Uh, so like if you've ever look up the company, it's called The Ordinary. The Ordinary, they do skincare in a very unique way by, you know, focusing on ingredients instead of just like marketing claims. So um, some of my favorite ingredients to use for different things is uh, vitamin C. I use uh, vitamin C serums. I can, I use different brands of it, but you know, high potency vitamin C serum. I use niacinamide or products with niacinamide in it for inflammation. I use, um, uh, what is it? Hyaluronic acid for moisture and hydration. I either use it by itself or I mix it in with my face cream. So uh, I focus on basically hydration um, hyperpigmentation. So I use, um, kojic, things with kojic acid in it for hyperpigmentation. Um, and I focus on good sun protection. So that's, that's what I do. So I just try different, different brands and with these different ingredients in them. And then, yeah, I get a lot, I get a lot of samples usually too. Um, so I'm not like a diehard, <laughs> brand fanatic when it comes to skincare. I do have a lot of skincare, but it's it's all really like samples and stuff to see which which vitamin C serum I like better than which and 
you know, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of my skincare routine. Um, so it's generally, I wash with an exfoliating like cleanser. I tone with something that has um, AHAs or BHAs or a combination of both. So I do, I would tone with a toner like that. Then I would do a vitamin C serum and I would do like maybe a lactic acid serum, depending on what my face is doing. And then I'll follow that up with um, a good moisturizing, hydrating, um, you know, moisturizer. And then top it all off with uh, some uh, some sunscreen. At night, I would do like overnight um, masks sometimes, usually heavy in moisture or vitamin C again. So yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much what I do. Uh, this question says, I remember you said being an being African, you know community and. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I'm very, very solidly um, a collectivistic person. I am not so individualistic. And I don't think it's something, it's not just innate. It's also because of how I was raised. So community is supremely important to me, but community that is chosen even more so, uh, when you, I find that for me, when I build my own community versus like just have community based on proximity or, you know, religion, I am able to make sure that it's a community that serves, serves me that's, you know, that I'm able to serve the community as they serve me. So that means like homophobes not allowed. (laughs) I am pretty stringent on, um, I'm a Libra. So I have this thing about, uh, fairness and equitable treatment of all people. So I, that's kind of how I, cultivate community. But it's been kind of difficult, actually, because I am a travel nurse. I move around so often that uh, a lot of my community is virtual. And for the first time in my life, I am having a longing to settle down. Uh, I don't like that term, settle down, but like to plant some roots. Because right now I move pretty Often, every three months, every six months, every 10 months, something like that, I move. And I that's been my life for a very long time. And I while I treasure, so treasure my virtual community, I do, I am beginning to crave, um, you know, some form of physical connection with it, with it, with, with, with my community where I would go to the same farmer's market or have, you know, like things like that. I kind of, I'm beginning for the first time to consider, uh, where I would like to live, you know, um, somewhat permanently. I don't know. I don't, you see, (laughs) I can't even say somewhere to live permanently because I mean, what does that even mean? But I, I'm considering like, sitting my butt down for a little bit, um, I guess you could say. So that's what community means to me. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to like, really like cultivating and developing that as the years go on. 
Uh, one thing that I did in 2019 that was profoundly like impactful in my life was join a women's group um, known as Getting Free. And as the name suggests, Getting Free is a group of people who are committed to um, getting free from it all, all the bullshit, you know, like. And in that community, I've been a member of it for, you know, 2019 and now 2020, I found such amazing people, such amazing people who show up for you, who support, who love, who, oof, yeah, so that has been transformational for me um, over the last couple of years. Um. If you could have a superpower, what power would you have? I would have, I would choose the power to eradicate hunger. I don't think anybody should go to bed hungry. So if that's a potential superpower, that's what I want. Nobody should go to bed hungry ever. How do you deal with racism and whiteness? Honestly, I don't. I remove, I, I, hmm. let me, let me, let me rephrase that. As in, I don't tolerate it ever. I am a very outspoken person. I'm a very, very passionate person. I will call you out like at work or elsewhere uh, because I, it just brings up something in me. I just hate unfair. I just hate when things are inequitable. And so I would um, most inevitably, like most undoubtedly call out racism when I see it. And whiteness, um, honestly, I didn't grow up with white people. So I don't, I have really good friends who are white, uh, but it is always explicitly people who are committed to anti-racism. And that's that's the people I would allow. Those are the white people I ever allow in my circle. People who are committed to dismantling uh, white supremacy. And um, otherwise, I just really don't have anything in common with, um, with you. What brings you joy and awakens your soul? Oh, what brings me joy? The sun, nothing in this world (laughs) brings me as much joy as feeling the warmth of the sun on my skin. Now, if I could do it on the beach, even better. But that is one of the biggest things for me. If I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling down and out, and the first thing I think of is get outside, which is why it's so hard to find a place to live and you know bec- well that's not why but that's part of the reason why cuz a lot of people at a, a lot of places i love there isn't enough sun um like i lived in chicago for 4 years and i would it's i love that city if it could be summer all year you know all year round so s- the sun brings me joy uh reading brings me joy i love to read i um I used to be a pretty voracious reader, not so much anymore because, you know, life, but I, I love to read. I love, ooh, I love a good meal. 
a well-seasoned, home-cooked meal brings me so much joy. That brings me so much joy. Uh, Being able to provide for my family brings me so much joy. Uh, Flowers and blush, everything brings me joy. I love blush clothing. (laughs) So that brings me incredible joy. And sitting here looking at a fresh bouquet of flowers on my table, that brings me joy. Um, Good love making brings me joy. (laughs) Yeah, just the simple pleasures of life, like feel really pleasurable to me and um, awakens me. Uh, So yeah, not so much like things. I'm not a very um, thing-oriented person. I just love my free time, time to just lay in the sun, read a book, uh, eat, eat a wonderful meal. That will always be what I work for, you know, that's, that's, that's what I work for. And also being able to use, um, the resources I have to bring that to other people. That brings me incredible joy. How do you let your inner child know it's okay to let go, letting go of defensiveness and being more open? Hmm. I will say that for me, vulnerability is where I thrive. So letting go is almost kind of like my default. That's where, that's where I go. Um, I, um, it's, it's a, it's a catch 22 sometimes, but I will almost always find something good in someone, even if they are causing me harm, if I care deeply about them. Uh, so I am able, that means that I'm able to let go of like, um, I'm able to forgive easily. I'm able to forgive people easily. In the last year, though, the work has been to understand the need to love myself first and foremost. And um, that has meant that I've had to cut out people who uh, kept, who were repeat offenders, basically, or kept harming me uh, repeatedly without any changed behavior. But once I see a glimmer of changed behavior, I'm pretty receptive to having them back in my life. So um, that's really not been a struggle that I've had to deal with so much, being defensive and being more open. It's just, I think it's kind of where I live um, naturally. Uh, so another question was, where is your faith spirituality now after being raised Jehovah's witness, or did it completely turn you away from that? I am more spiritual now than I ever have been. I am more spiritual now than I ever was when I was religious. I think I didn't understand the distinction between being religious and being spiritual. I always thought the two were interconnected, that you couldn't be spiritual until you were religious. And that 
has proven to be the complete opposite for me. It's almost like when I was religious, I wasn't spiritual because a lot of religiosity as I experienced it was around sets of roles and um, ideologies that uh, inherently denied my experience, my lived experience. So it's, I find that religion has typically has this premise of being intrinsically flawed and having to work to, you know, become more, in the case of Christians, become more Christ-like. And to be more Christ-like is to deny a lot of who I am. I, you know, I mean, it has its merit. Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, the story, the person, the the legend had many, many wonderful um, message and teachings. But the way religion, as a as a man run um, thing, operates, leaves me with questioning my voice, my sexuality, my inherent worthiness. And so I don't ascribe to religion at all anymore. I love teachings. I I love Buddhist teachings, but from a very, um, a very spiritual point of view and not like from a religious point of view. So And so that's kind of where I am. I'm exploring different modalities of spirituality and meditation is incredibly uh, spiritual to me. And I, I, I find stillness because stillness otherwise is difficult for me to cultivate. But when I'm meditating or when I take meditation into my daily life, I'm able to find equanimity and a calmness of mind and spirit. And so that, that, that is spiritual to me. When I, um, when I use tarot cards to help, um, lean into my intuitive abilities that it, that feels spiritual to me. So I really appreciate things that has me embracing my innate goodness that has me seeing myself from the light of being innately good and, um, and being able to trust my inner knowing and my voice and my, my instinct. So I'm I'm more spiritual now than I've ever been and I religion just stifles me or has stifled me and um so religion is not a thing I do anymore at all. Uh there was a question that came into my DMs that I can't find right now but I will save it in case I do another if I find it in case I do another Q&A to um, address it at that at that time. So that's all for today. This went on longer than I thought. And um, <laughs> I, I loved doing it. And I can't wait to do another one sometime. I do want to I do want to record a podcast episode about just certain things that I've been having discussions recently off. So um, that should come up in the next week. And otherwise, have a great holiday weekend and 
I'm off for eight days, so I am just going to live my best life. And it's sunny here in LA the next few days, so you already know I'm going to be out there on that beach soaking it all up. Um, Until next time, I will talk to you later.